Note from Robert P. Rabbit, 5. You are probably wondering how Katie's cancer is doing. Actually, she is in remission right now, which means the cancer is starting to go away. I met her soon after I first found out she had cancer because she came to live with Granddad and Polly in Atlanta so she could be closer to the children's hospital. I was very excited to see that she had the special mark that lets me communicate with her, and we became fast friends. She taught me a lot about thinking of others first when she gave away almost all of the stuffed animals people brought her in the hospital to other children on her floor who had none. I was with her the whole time, and I wanted the kids in the other rooms to know that I was a real rabbit, but the doctors and nurses couldn't know that, so I spent a lot of time changing back and forth from a stuffed rabbit to a live rabbit. But enough about me. Katie got radiation treatments and lots of medicine and chemotherapy, I think they call it. Because of that, sometimes she needs to be in a wheelchair, and sometimes on crutches, and sometimes she gets out of her wheelchair without warning the rest of us. It's one of my jobs to make sure that when she does, Will is always close by to steady her if need be. He is very good about that. I only have to remind him every once in a while. I don't know what she would do without Will. But you know, that is actually one of the things that brothers are for, to help take care of their sisters. Chapter 5. The Global Detectives Spring Into Action at this point, I need to bring you up to date on just who the Global Detectives are and who Dirtman is, in case you haven't read our first book. So here goes. After Katie and Will became good friends with Robert P. Rabbit, and we all began to take trips here and there together, the three of them started solving all kinds of small mysteries. So I gave them a certificate declaring that from that point forward, every time they worked on a mystery, they could officially call themselves detectives. They came up with the name, and to prove to anyone that they were, in fact, real detectives, I had cards printed up with their names and the Global Detectives on them. As for Dirtman, he lives on a small farm in Tallulah Falls, very near Katie's house. Wendy was the first one to make friends with him, as she used to leave him vegetables and fruit in a basket on the fence between their two properties. He started leaving her flowers in the same basket. He doesn't talk to people very much at all. He mostly wants to be left alone. He worked for the United States government in the Central Intelligence Agency for 25 years. I guess you would call him a spy, and he is a genius with computers, but we are really the only ones who know this. He lives in a hut on his farm, which the government gave him in appreciation for all the highly secret work he did for the country. You'd never know it looking at his hut from the outside, but inside he has multiple computers. He only occasionally goes to town to buy supplies, and he is always a little dirty from working in his flower garden, so the people in town just started calling him Dirt Man, and it stuck. No one really knows much of anything about him, and he wants to keep it that way. There are two more things you should know about Dirt Man, other than the fact that he is probably the smartest man in northern Georgia. The first is that as soon as Katie met him, they became instant friends. Katie is like that with people. She has never met a person she doesn't like, and she is so giving and loving and always thinking about other people first that I don't think there is anyone who has met Katie who doesn't like her back. The second thing about Dirtman is that he has the special mark. He owns a donkey who has been able to communicate with him for years, 
but he has never told anyone until he met me, Katie, Will, and Robert P. Rabbit. We helped him realize that he wasn't crazy for talking with animals and that there are other people like him, so now he feels so much better about himself. Dirtman has taught Katie, Will, and Robert P. Rabbit a great deal about computers and about life in general. By the way, Dirtman's real name is Happard Sanjeev, and when they are together, they sometimes call him Hap, but he really doesn't want anyone in town to know much about him, so he wants us to keep calling him Dirtman to help him keep his true identity secret. So that is why I sent the three of them to see Dirtman. If anyone could get us off on the right foot, it would be him. To get to Dirtman's hut, Katie and Will and Robert P. Rabbit had to go down to the end of the long driveway, cut through the woods, then over the pumpkin patch Wendy had planted, and then climb over the fence into Dirtman's field. Of course, they can't get Katie's wheelchair through the fence, so she has to use her crutches or a walking stick at that point. As they set off to visit Dirtman, Katie suggested, let's start at the top of the ramp. I don't know, Katie, said Robert P. Rabbit. Your mom wouldn't like us doing that. Oh, it will be okay, she said. Will can keep me from going too fast. The ramp is how Katie gets out of her house when she is in her wheelchair. It comes right off the front porch and goes down into the driveway. In wintertime, when it snows, she and Will always put lots of snow on the ramp so they can get a good start and have a great sled run all the way down the driveway and onto Hardman Street. They never have to worry about cars, since they are the only house on that road. I'll be sure she doesn't go too fast, Will agreed. I'll hold on to the back of the wheelchair and drag my feet if I need to. Will, I trust you just about as far as I can throw you, said Robert P. Rabbit. So just in case, I'm going to have both my front paws on the wheel brake. With that, they went up the ramp, and Will turned Katie around, gave a push, and down they started. At first it wasn't too fast, as the driveway is fairly level close to the house. But by the time they reached the cottage, and then the well house, Katie was really moving. This is great, Will! Katie yelled. Yay! called Will, but I think I'm losing my grip. Just then, Will tripped over one of his shoestrings. He usually doesn't get around to tying his shoes until after lunch. And he fell on the ground and let go of Katie's wheelchair. See there, Katie, said Robert P. Rabbit. I knew we shouldn't trust Will to slow us down. I'm putting on the brake before we all end up in a heap on the blacktop. And with that, Robert P. Rabbit pushed down on the brake lever that was there just for such an occasion, and by the time they reached the place where they needed to turn to go to Dirtman's house, they had come to a complete stop. Wow, that was fun, said Katie, and thank you so much, Robert P. Rabbit, for keeping us safe. Well, someone has to do it, he said a little gruffly. Now let's get over to Dirtman's house and see if he can help us solve this mystery. When they arrived at Dirtman's hut, Will knocked on the door and called out, are you home, Hap? It's me and Katie and Robert P. Rabbit, and we need your help. When he didn't get an answer, Will decided he needed to turn up the volume, so he yelled at the top of his lungs, Hey, Hap, are you home? Are you in there? Just then, Dirtman appeared at the side of the hut. Will, he said, you don't need to yell so loud that the whole world hears you. It's very impolite to raise your voice so much when visiting a neighbor. But you didn't come to the door when I knocked, said Will, a little sheepishly. That only means I wasn't home, or perhaps I was busy with something. You should wait a few minutes and then knock again. If I still don't come to the door, you should go around the house to see if I'm in my garden, which is exactly where I was, Dirtman told him. I'm sorry, I'll do better next time, Will said. I certainly hope so, said Dirtman. Now, 
to what do I owe the pleasure of this visit? It's a long story, said Katie. Let's go inside so we can tell you everything, and maybe you can use your computers to help us. So they went into the back room of the hut, which was an amazing place. Along one wall were four very large smart TV screens, each at least 60 inches, and below each one was a computer and a table with notebooks and pens on it. There was only one chair in front of the tables, but it was on wheels so Dirtman could easily roll back and forth on the smooth floor from one computer to another. Behind the chair, stretching across the entire room, was a railing that was raised about two feet above the floor. Whenever Dirtman worked at his computers, Robert P. Rabbit, Will, and Katie had to stay behind the railing out of his way while he did his magic. First, Katie told him everything I had told them about the old man, the ubidium, the scientist who didn't seem to be growing old very fast, and the letter Larry Burkett had given me. Let me see the letter, Dirtman said, so Katie gave it to him, and he read it out loud. As you know, years ago, I was employed by General Electric to work on NASA's Apollo Moon Project. I got to know the astronauts well, and I ended up receiving a moon rock from one of them. My family and I thought of it as a coffee table knick-knack at first. My kids took it to show-and-tell at school, and I showed it to all my neighbors. But recently I have learned that some of the 53 marble-sized moon rocks that President Richard Nixon gave to various world leaders have been sold for four to five million dollars each. Mere moon dust from an astronaut's patch has been sold for 300,000. And a moon rock the size of a golf ball was being sold by an auction company in New York City for 32 million before being confiscated by the FBI. My rock is bigger than all of these. It is the size of a softball. I thought about selling it, but I've decided that it belongs to the American people, not just to one person. At first, I wanted to give it to a museum that would put it on display, but then I learned that most museums would just give the moon rock back to NASA, and they would probably just store it in a vault where no one would see it again. Or NASA would break it up and send the pieces to universities to study, where it would be broken into even more pieces. If you are reading this, you know that I have not accomplished my goal of finding a museum that will exhibit it. So I want you to do it for me. But I realize that a lot of people would want to own this moon rock, so I have hidden it where you must follow several clues to find it. I'm worried that if I gave you the moon rock outright, someone might take it from you before you could deliver it someplace where everyone can enjoy it. This way, you will have time to figure out who else might be interested in stealing the moon rock for themselves before you actually have it in your possession. You will find the first clue in the dedication of the last novel I wrote, The Deep Canyon Dream. Good luck, your friend, Larry. Well now, Dirtman said after he finished reading the letter, it seems we have three problems to solve. Can any of you detectives tell me what those are? Katie piped up, the first is to find and figure out all the clues so we can find the moon rock. That's correct, said Dirtman. Now what is number two? Once we find it, do we keep it, or can we find a museum that will put it on display, or what? added Will. That's correct, too, said Dirtman. Now how about problem number three? Do we let anyone put the rock together with the ubidium to produce the vapor so people can breathe it to slow down their aging? Katie said. Well, that is another problem, said Dirtman. What I was thinking of is related to that. How do we keep any of you from being harmed by anyone who might be looking for that moon rock, too? 
such as people from the Draconian Drug Company. I'm sure they not only want the Moonrock, but also the Ubidium, so it is probably important that you at least meet Dr. Robinson's grandson to see what kind of a person he is. That way, you can decide if you're going to bring him in on this search. I guess the place to start is to write down what we know, then what we don't know, and how we are going to find those things out, said Katie. That's good, Dirtman told her. He walked over to a whiteboard on the wall and began to write down all the things that they knew for certain so far. Number one. Larry Burkett was given a rock from the moon by one of the twelve men who walked on the moon. Number two. The rock was from the Sea of Tranquility and was picked up by Neil Armstrong, the first man to walk on the moon. Number three. The rock is very valuable, and Larry Burkett didn't want any bad people to steal it, so he hid it. Number four. He gave Grandad a letter that gives directions to the first clue in finding the moon rock. Number five. A scientist named Dr. Nolan Robinson came to see Grandad and told him that years ago he and two other scientists put a moon rock into contact with a meteorite he had found that was made up of a new element he calls ubidium. Number six. Dr. Robinson said that when they put the moon rock and meteorite together, a vapor formed that Myron Woodard and the other scientists breathed, and that vapor apparently slowed down their aging process. Number seven. Dr. Robinson wants Grandad to find the moon rock and then get together with his grandson, who will soon have the ubidium. Then, all of you, his grandson, and his grandson's wife should all decide if you want to breathe the vapor. Then he wants all of you to decide whether or not to tell the rest of the world about this age-slowing vapor. Number eight. The old man thinks that Myron Woodard is working with bad men who will possibly hurt you and his grandson in order to get the moon rock and the ubidium. After writing all of that on the board, Dirtman stepped back and looked at Katie, Will, and Robert P. Rabbit and asked, What do you think? I think we start by getting a copy of Larry Burkett's last novel, said Katie. That's a good place to start, Katie, said Dirtman, but do you think we need the entire novel? Oh, no, you're right, said Katie. He didn't say the clue was in the book. He said the clue is in the dedication of the book. What's a dedication? asked Robert P. Rabbit. It's usually on the first page of the book, Will explained, and it is the person or people that the author of the book want to honor by saying that the book is dedicated to them. You don't say, said Robert P. Rabbit, and I can find what the dedication says without having to buy the book, added Will. So he sat down at one of the computers, logged into his e-book account, and downloaded a free sample of the book. This gave him the first 20 pages or so, including the dedication. They all read it together. This book is dedicated to the brave Havasupai Indians who, against great odds, have protected their homeland for the benefit of their posterity for generations to come. We could all learn a great deal from their national treasure, the rock that will not move. Wow, that doesn't seem like much of a clue to me, Will exclaimed disappointedly. Maybe not at first glance, but I am sure it contains everything you need to get started on your journey, said Dirtman. And as they started to break down every word, they realized Dirtman was right. It told them exactly what their next step should be.